You're listening to the greatest multifamily investment advice show. My name is Adam Ross, and now I'm talking everything multifamily for an in-depth conversation, and I will be diving deep into raising capital, deals, and underwriting process. Welcome back to the greatest multifamily advice show. Today we have Savannah Arroyo, real estate investor with a huge portfolio on the United States. Please welcome our guest today. How are you, Savannah? Hi, I'm doing good. How are you? Thanks. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much for being with us today and I appreciate you taking the time. And the first thing uh, I want to like to ask is how you started in multifamily. What was the beginning for you? Yeah, definitely. So um, I'm a registered nurse and I really kind of knew at a, at a young age that I wanted to go into nursing. And so that was really the career path that I was on. And it wasn't until the beginning of 2020 when I had my second daughter that I started realizing that I wanted a different way to grow wealth. I was forced to go back to work when my daughter was three months old because I was relying on that paycheck. And I just wanted a more flexible life um, with my daughters. And my husband and I sat down and we were really trying to visualize what we wanted our lives to look like, how involved we were in our daughter's lives. And we realized that our full-time W-2 jobs just weren't going to give us the flexibility that we wanted. Mm. And so we started researching ways to grow wealth and create multiple streams of income and we stumbled upon real estate for obvious reasons. It's one of the best ways out there to grow wealth. And with that, we began educating ourselves with um, books, uh, podcasts, YouTubes, and then um, invested in a coaching program and and decided to take the leap into um, multifamily real estate. When was that? When you started, actually? Um, So we started the beginning of 2020, and then we Hmm. closed on our first apartment complex november 2020 a 12 unit up in oregon so from 2020 to now how many uh, units under management so far yeah so now we have four different apartment complexes totaling in 90 units okay okay so uh, let's start to to that the the main part is what is uh, your criteria when you're choosing a market are you from the west coast so uh, where where is the actual market you're focusing now on it like uh, cap rate wise uh pressure purchase price per unit and so on yeah we have um purchased all our apartment complexes up in oregon it has very uh strong rental demand very low vacancy rates great appreciation um and so because we invested all in all these deals throughout the pandemic we just really Mm -hmm. wanted to make sure that we had conservative underwriting and we're in very stable rental markets and so that's why all of our deals have been up in oregon up until this point and um they're performing really well. We've done um, kind of a smaller unit size, um, 12, 24, 36, and 18. And um, my husband and I are the sole operating partners on these deals. And so it's kind of our sweet spot with our ability to raise capital. And so that's really kind of determined our unit size at this point. Um, And then we have uh, property managers in place. And most of these deals are uh, very strong value add deals. Um, Mm -hmm. So we do um, are very involved with our property management team from the beginning to um, add value by decreasing expenses and increasing uh, rents. So uh, because you're my first guest uh, uh, investing on the West Coast, if you can highlight as a market fundamental of uh, the West Coast, because right now everyone is like focusing on the, you know, the Southeast with Tennessee and uh, North Carolina and, and Dallas, uh, but uh, for 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 uh, Oregon, what does the market fundamental look like? Yeah, so um, price per unit around seventy eighty thousand. Uh, we're looking sometimes between. 
four and seven cap rate. Um, it really kind of depends what specific market that you're in in Oregon um, and where you're kind of getting your deals. And then um, in terms of vacancy rates, we're looking at like in our markets, three to 5%, really, really low. Yeah, good. Um, and um, we're able to increase rents on our buildings um, at least 9% every year. Um, and then when we have turns, when we turn units, we're able to increase it even more. So we just turned a unit um, this last week and we're raising rents 40%. Uh, you mentioned you, you, that you're raising capital. So how does like cash on cash look like? And you mentioned that there's like a big range of cap rate between four and seven, but like, what is your actual criteria with this when, when it's come to uh, return on investment and uh, yes. cash on cash? So the um, metrics that we aim for for our investors is usually a three to five year hold. Mm. We're looking for over 100% ROI, um, return on investment. So if our investors invest $50,000, we're looking to double that within the mm. lifetime of the investment. So within five years, we're giving back that 50K and an, an additional $50,000 on top of that. Our cash on cash is from like five to 8%. So it's mm. really dependent on the value add, how strong of a value add. If it's a very strong value add and rents are below market, then the cash on cash is a lot lower to begin with. And then it steadily grows. So our average is about five to 8%. And then our average annualized return that we're getting for our investors is uh, about 20%. And then our internal rate of return is um, anywhere between like 14 to 18. That's perfect. That's perfect. So uh, uh, your your target is like your target market is an, on the West Coast. Um, and your management style is based on uh, you from Oregon already. So uh, how you manage to have a, a constant stream of uh, or pipeline of stream for your deals? Yeah, really great broker relationship. So we did all four syndication deals with the same broker. And when we first got started, it's difficult in the multifamily space if you don't have experience to get brokers to take you seriously. And so when we initially had conversations with brokers, we were just very, very specific on our deal criteria. So for our first deal, we were looking for a one to 1.5 million purchase price, 12 to 20 units, strong value add in certain markets. And when we went to our broker, with that information, he was under the impression that because we were so specific, we knew what we were doing. And after we closed that first deal with him, we uh, mentioned to him that that was our first deal and that we were excited about closing it. And he was shocked. He didn't know, but he was also a very young broker, I think in his mid twenties. And so he maybe didn't even think to ask our experience where mm. other brokers that I talked to in Atlanta, Georgia, and some other markets throughout the country um, they were constantly asking, you know, what were your assets under management? What properties did you currently own? They really want to know your experience. And when you don't have experience, it's difficult to get started. And so after we did that first deal with the broker and he saw how great our communication was, how we were able to get the deal to close, then he continued to send us really good deals. And the, the next three that he sent us were all off market and we were able to get all those across the finish line. So getting back to the deals, what was your largest deal so far? Your biggest deal? Uh, 36 units. And we just closed on that one two weeks ago. It's a 4.5 million purchase price. And we okay. raised about $1.3 million for that one. Okay. So it was a value add or? Yeah, that one was a value add, although it was fairly stable from the beginning. That one's cash flowing very well, um, but there still is opportunity to increase rents um, without a lot of um, additional um, expenses. 
for mm. turning the units. Okay. So what was the upside about the, 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 this project for you? This is uh, the last, last deal. Yeah, really just the the ability to increase rents. Um, so the mm. we look for buildings that were really mismanaged by the previous owners. So mm. they're not really treating it like a business. You know, they're not raising rents. They're not cutting expenses. And in this property, um, the previous owner had owned it for like 50 plus years outright, mm. and they just weren't increasing rents. And there was some of their expenses that were a little bit high. And so we're going in there and just tightening up some of the expenses and then increasing the rents up to market value. And then that's where we're generating uh, the majority of our returns. Uh, back to the, the market itself, uh, how is uh, the market is look like when it's come to as if standard or landlord friendly uh, when it's come to uh, evictions and doing renovations? Yeah, definitely. So people um, compare Oregon to California and saying it's not very uh, landlord friendly, that it's very tenant friendly. Um, but we've had uh, situations where we've had to evict tenants and um, haven't had too much of an issue. Um, I know one tenant that we were looking to evict, we needed more probability for cause. And it's kind of just a waiting game at that point, because these tenants will do something that, um, you know, puts them in a situation where now there's cause, um, whether it's it's disrupting on the apartment complex. Um, this um, tenant actually had their children go out and get into a bunch of paint and supplies that were ours and made a huge mess in our um, complex. And so that was now cause for eviction. And so um, that's really the only other issue we've had, but otherwise um, we've been able to raise rent. So there's a cap of 9.9% for the year 2022. Um, and we underwrite way less than that. I mean, when we're, we're doing our underwriting, we're showing, you know, 5%, three to 5% annual mm -hmm. rent increases. And that's really seen organically in the market. And then the ability to raise it 9% in addition to that is um, a huge opportunity to add value to the deals. 100%. I, I think one of the upside of, uh, of what you did uh, recently is raising capital. And, uh, and this is one of the major, I think, differences between single family home and multifamily is the flexibility when you're closing. So on, on the last deal, how, how long it was uh, the closing? And did you have any extension? Did you have any challenges when you uh, started to raise money with your uh, investors, especially that you knew to the game and uh, like, how was the closing was looked like the process itself? Yeah, so um, for all four of our deals, we have um, put in extensions, financing extensions, and have used every single one of them. Mm. Um, so especially throughout the pandemic, there there's been there was a huge influx in loans going out in 2020 and 2021, and then um, this last deal that we closed on. Um, things with the market changed in terms of the rising interest rates. And so um, that led to some extensions that we needed in the financing as well. Um, but for this last deal, for the first three deals, we used a local credit union to finance them. And then this last deal, we used Freddie Mac. So we used agency debt for this last deal, which was very, very cumbersome. There was a lot of extra detail that's added to the mm. underwriting. Mm. Um, the agency debt really wants all of the financials very in a very particular order, which is something that we had an experience where we're, so the seller didn't have their numbers um, in, in very good order. And so we, as the buyers had to completely reformat them on multiple, multiple occasions. So there was a lot of extra work that went into that in order to get this agency debt. 
Um, but overall, it, we got in at, at really great terms and the capital raising aspect. So in total for all of my deals, I think I've raised a little over 3 million, I think like 3.2 million. Um, so I've kind of had a range throughout the deals. This last deal was obviously the biggest range, but um, as a capital raiser, I mean, you're really raising capital all the time, not just when you have a deal. I mean, so even when now we don't have a deal um, and I had two investor calls yesterday for people who are interested in investing in syndication. So mm-hmm. I'm always raising capital um, really through what I do on social media and just people getting in touch with me and letting them know about our deals. Um, so it's just uh, a lot of conversations at that point. And uh, primarily because I raise capital from healthcare professionals, because I am a nurse, um, I think over 50% of my investors are actually healthcare professionals and most of them have never invested in a syndication before. Um, So, yeah. So a lot of my investors, there's a huge learning curve in educating them about the syndication process. And so on my website, I've now created additional content that has like a doodle video that literally draws out what a syndication looks like. And I have a couple YouTube videos on there and some blogs that explain returns. So um, being able to produce educational content has allowed me to kind of streamline my capital raising efforts. Uh, when you, you when you mentioned us, uh, you're referring to the actual deal structure, I mean, uh, security wise. So um, how is uh, your, your deal structure wise? Is it a joint venture or a GPLP? How does it look like? Yeah, GPLP. So all of our deals were an 80-20 split. So the operators taking 20% of the ownership of the building for acquisitions, asset management, capital raising, getting the deal to the finish line. Um, And that's very standard in the industry. Um, It's 20 to 30%. And so we take 20%. Most of our investors are family and friends. And so um, we give them majority um, ownership in the deal. And then we take a asset management fee and an acquisition fee Um, and, um, we do quarterly disbursements. So every three months we're sending our investors a check through our portal, a direct deposit into their bank account, along with some communications. Um, and then the majority of their returns is made at sale. So basically this is your approach to make the deal friendly, trying to be on the lower side of the split of profit, which is the 20%, which is a good approach with when you're starting your, uh, your syndication process. Um, I think the next one will be um, how you dealt with uh, 506B and 506C with credit and, and qualified investors. Did you had uh, this uh, relationship with a credit investor and how was the process was look like dealing with different investor uh, uh, types? Yeah. Um, so we do 506B deals. So we hmm. do appeal to unaccredited investors. And that was very, very important to us because my husband and I are unaccredited investors. And so um, it's important for us to be able to provide this investment opportunity to people who are unaccredited. Hmm. Um, because as you know, I mean, there's not as many investing opportunities for unaccredited investors. And hmm. you do have to kind of know people a little bit more because you have to have relationships with them. You can't solicit it online and do that sort yeah. of stuff. So um, for me, it's great because I love getting to know all of my investors when they invest in the deal and getting to know kind of their investing preferences and what they're looking to do. Um, And then it 
it allows for more repeat investments and more referrals when you have that kind of connection with your investors. And so um, we, at this point, all four of our deals have been 506B. Mm. Uh, we might do a 506C for our next deal. We might do a storage unit and I might capital raise for another operator for that one. Um, just to be able to diversify our investors' investments and bring them something else. Um, but that's kind of how we've structured them so far. Okay. Um, my next question was about the market itself. How, what was the impact on the inflation on your market right now, especially on the competition side, uh, deal side, uh, price-wise, also the cab rate? Yeah, um, inflation is great for raising rents, right? I mean, we're able to raise rents very easily because of um, inflation, but also the expenses are going up. So now when we're turning units, the labor um, and um, supply costs are drastically more. And so it is kind of a, a ratio that's continuing forward. Um, so, and then to the cap rates, it is compressing them and making mm. deals a little bit harder, um, especially with the financing terms, interest rates climbing a little bit. I think it is getting a little bit more difficult to find deals, but I think at this point, most investors know that um, with all of this going on, it's very apparent that your relationships are everything. So if you have great relationships with people in this space and you have brokers who are still getting deal flow and you have that great relationship with them, then it's a little bit better than looking on the MLS and trying to find properties that way. So I think the, the inflation and the rising interest rates really just kind of narrow down on how important it is to have great relationships in this industry. Okay. Uh, you mentioned something about uh, the actual raising rent. So how does the legislation look like on Oregon regarding raising rent and what's the rules uh, to raise rent on, on, uh, on the market? Because you yeah. mentioned it's not this friendly market uh, with, uh, with, a tenant, uh, with the landlord. So how does the legislation look like? Yeah, it's, it hasn't been too big of an issue for us, but um, for example, on our 36 unit, um, we just got noticed that a tenant moved out or put in their notice to move out, but our um, property manager is showing the unit like tomorrow, like within three days, which is allowed within Oregon. And um, I think rents were at um, $9.75 and he's raising it to $11.75 without doing anything in the unit. So um, that's kind of just where rents are growing in Oregon and the, in the different markets. Um, so they're um, jumping quite a bit organically without us even having to raise them. Oh, okay. So uh, the actual market, uh, you mentioned one of the market fundamental or Oregon is uh, appreciation and also as uh, a cash flow. So um, uh, also one of the main uh, market fundamental is uh, immigration uh, to, the, to the, the actual uh, city. So what was uh, like the demographic um, immigration to Oregon one and two uh, what is the, was the percentage of uh, appreciation on the market on the last four or five years yeah um, so it's super important for us to always invest in markets where the population is trending up for sure um, it shows you know growth people coming to the city we also really look for um, diversification in job markets and, and employment sectors, um, just to provide kind of some diversification there. We do invest in like C plus B minus asset class. So it's a lot of um, 
you know, blue collar working class individuals. And so during the pandemic at one point, I think it was more like summer of 2020 or um, kind of winter of 2020, where we were seeing the highest delinquencies, right? People not being able to pay rent. Um, but once the state started implementing those grants, it wasn't as worrisome as a landlord. We were still very conservative in what we were doing with our um, budgets and um, reserves, but there was a lot of ability to re recollect rent from tenants who were backlogged on that. And so eventually we saw within like a six to nine month period that those delinquencies started trending down and we were able to um, collect some of that back rent. So um, in terms of uh, percentages of appreciation, I don't know those numbers right off the top of my head, um, but Oregon did see an influx of growth uh, primarily from California uh, because Oregon is directly above California. So a lot of people from California were moving up into there and, and are still moving up into there. So I think consistently, it's been, um, you know, one of one of the consistent states of seeing uh, growth, upwards growth. Also, you mentioned the price-wise, Berionet is one of the, I think, competitive price Berionet all over the states. Uh, right yeah. now, even, uh, yeah, on, on all of the northern states, 80,000 Berdor is really competitive, I think. Mm -hmm. um, um, I think my, my next question, you mentioned about the mentorship, uh, how, how you started this, like what was the motivation to be on a, an actual mentorship program and what was the upside about the mentorship program and how you find your mentor and, and so on? Yeah, so for us, it was really trying to, um, like, so when we first got started investing in real estate, we, we didn't have any money to start investing. And so we had to start getting creative. And so we took out a second mortgage on our home and mm. pulled from our retirement account and started leveraging some debt in our lives to go out and buy real estate. And I'm, you know, being newbies, this seemed maybe risky, right? Like a lot of people might've, might've told us who weren't involved in real estate, this, this would be risky. But when we started connecting with a lot of other real estate professionals and investors, we realized like, this is kind of the way to scale your portfolios to leverage debt. And so, um, we did buy two single family homes, um, turnkey built to rent projects. Didn't require a lot of work, not, not heavily cash flowing, maybe a couple hundred bucks a month. Um, we did actually just recently sell those ones, but, um, when we moved into the multifamily space, there was a mindset shift of there, there was a lot of legal aspects to selling securities and investments and, and raising capital. And for us, because we knew that we would have friends and family invest in our deals, we wanted to make sure that we were doing everything in our power to prevent anything wrong from happening in these deals. So we wanted to mitigate a lot of that risk. And we did it through kind of having a coach and a mentor. And so um, for us investing in the coaching mentorship program, I think a lot of people do it for two reasons, right? Like one reason they need the accountability. Hmm. So my husband and I, we didn't need the accountability. We were action takers. We were grinding on this every day. We didn't really need that motivation to get started. We were very, very motivated, um, but we did use it to have kind of the confidence. So, you know, the other side of mentorship is kind of the overseeing of the processes and making sure that you're not making very expensive um, mistakes. And so for us, it was comforting as we're doing our underwriting and looking at deals that we had someone that we could bounce our ideas to and say, hey, you know, is this a good deal? Is this something that we should submit an offer on? And as a very new first time syndicator, that's very important having that confidence and 
um, that mentor to help guide you in, in those directions. And so for us, it was worth it to invest in a coaching mentorship program, um, knowing that we would get that support. And because we did, you know, I think a lot of it did attribute to the fact that we were able to do four deals in less than two years, um, really kind of as a sole operating partner. So um, it had a lot, a lot of value and something I would definitely recommend to people. 100%, 100%. So within this two years on multifamily, how would you describe your superpower? My superpower? I think um, one of my superpowers is just being super genuine. I do a lot of different social media. And because my background has always been in nursing, it was very uncomfortable uh, raising money and going out there and talking to people about investing in real estate. And I I didn't really like it at first, to be honest, but I knew it was a very important aspect of growing my business. And for me, it was like, okay, how can I do this in the most genuine way possible? And it motivated me to launch my brand Net Worth Nurse. And through Net Worth Nurse, I'm able to talk about real estate to other healthcare professionals and have that relatability and be able to talk to them um, in a way that other people can't. And um, so for me, I think one of my biggest superpowers has been able to kind of really niche down on on my skill set as a nurse and use that in my business as a capital raiser. And, and as you mentioned, like almost half, 50% of your investors coming from the same industry, which is a success because you're able to have this connection to bring them into the business. And uh, it was, I think, uh, in two years is uh, brilliant uh, progress with, with your uh, syndication uh, business so far. So what was uh, the latest book about real estate or business grabbed your attention? Um, that I that I've read um, the mom test. I've I read this and it's really about customer satisfaction. It's not really real estate related, but it's about growing a business and being in touch with your customers. And it provides really amazing feedback into how to um, cater to your investors and identify what they want and need as you're going out and developing products. It's great. That's perfect. Um, thanks again for being with us today. And my final question would be: How the people can follow your success? on social media. Yeah, definitely. So net worth nurse under all social medias. I have Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, and TikTok. So I You're have everywhere. Yeah. So you can find me under um, net worth nurse or the net worth nurse. And I love, love connecting with people. My website is networthnurse.co. Um, so if anything I've said is interested or you want to learn more, I'm more than happy to connect, reach out 100%, to me. 100%. Again, thanks again uh, for joining us and we will be happy to bring you again to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot.